Well, welcome, church. We are excited to gather together here on Easter Sunday. Uh, If you have been tracking with us as a church for very long, then you know every Easter what we do is as we gather together, we take all of the offering that we receive on Easter Sunday and we give it away to an organization. We know that Easter Sunday is a massive day in the life of churches. And so no false motives. If you are tuning in and you're just here checking out church, Jesus, Christianity, then you can give today knowing that everything that you're going to give goes to a local uh, community and specifically that second harvest for us today. So second harvest over the past four weeks we've partnered with, we've helped them to provide 20,000 meals. In fact, because of your generosity, we have been able to help not only love and serve, but actually feed our neighbor. Um, So as we get rolling into the sermon this morning, I just want to start off by saying we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your generosity. And that's our hope and our prayer that as you are so generous as you always are, um, that you would know that every dollar that you give goes to feed four people. It gives four meals. And so we just want to say thank you now. Um, Again, we're gathered all over the place today. This is not a normal Easter Sunday in case you hadn't figured that out yet. But I'm going to pray for us as we spend time together in God's word. And specifically, I'm going to pray that God just quiets the distractions that are happening in life. And so Jesus, we pray and we ask as we are gathered together digitally, but spread personally all over the city, all over the state, all over the country, and some of us streaming in from all over the world. God, I pray and I ask that you would help today to grow our faith, that we would trust more fully in you, Jesus, as we celebrate your resurrection. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're launching into this brand new series, and the series is called Unstoppable. And the, uh, the understanding behind the Unstoppable series, it's simple. It's that in the early church, there was this unstoppable There was this unstoppable faith. There was this unstoppable movement of God. And what's fascinating to me is it was unstoppable in light of the fact that it should have been wildly stoppable. Here's what I mean by that. If you study what actually happened in the early church, it should have been so easy to stop and to thwart this movement of God. Um, If you look at what happened in the Roman Empire before Jesus stepped on the scene, there are plenty of people who said, we believe you know, that this one particular leader is a great leader. We believe in a bunch of different teachings. There's, there would be people and leaders that would come that would lead uprisings, that would lead religious or political uprisings. But in the middle of that, as they would declare themselves king, Rome would suppress and kill every single uprising. But what's fascinating about the historical study of Christianity is this. There is absolutely no reason that this should have survived the first century. In fact, this was the unstoppable movement of God. Now, this movement took incredible faith. It took faith that sometimes when we think about it, it dwarfed our faith. The women and the men of the first century had extraordinary faith. And so we're launching into a series that studies what was so unstoppable, what was so contagious about their faith. And here's what I would ask this morning or this afternoon or whenever and wherever you're streaming this. Here's what I would ask you. Why do you have faith? Why do you have faith? Why do you believe in Jesus? In fact, if you do believe in Jesus, why do you believe? Because some of us, we're gathered 
Somebody just invited us, somebody sent us a link, and we're trying to figure out this whole Jesus, God, Bible, Christianity thing out. In fact, isn't this true for some of us? We're here learning, listening, not because we're convinced that Jesus is Savior, but because we're on the fence about it. Perhaps you were given faith as a, as a middle schooler or an elementary schooler or a toddler. You were given the faith of your parents. And then at some point, your kind of elementary school faith met the rigors of the real world in college and adult life. And for whatever reason, your faith just diminished. Well, I am so excited that you're tuning in today because if you were to poll the audience of all Christians and say, why do you believe you would get a lot of different answers? You would get a ton of different answers. You'd get something along the lines of, well, I believe because Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down to man and it's not man reaching up to God. And I would say, one, that is true. But that is not factual. That doesn't, that, that's convenient, 100%. But for a lot of us, you would be more hesitant. You'd say, I mean, that's interesting. But that doesn't substantiate me placing my entire worldview around Jesus. For other, others of us, it was at a point in time you had an experience. You were at a camp, you were at a worship night, you were at a church service, you were in a community group, you had a conversation, and all of a sudden this feeling just welled up inside of you. And for whatever reason, you just were convinced that this was right. And that's phenomenal. And I'm not here to downplay that or to minimize that, but I'm here to simply say this. If you were to poll the audience of the early church, none of those reasons would be the reasons that they were willing to go through excruciating, excruciating pain and persecution. There was one reason that they would be willing to go through all that. And it had nothing to do with the feeling It had nothing to do with Jesus being a good set of teachings and a good set of morals and a good set of ideas. It had absolutely nothing to do with many of the things that we have. In fact, it was the one thing that nobody expected. It was the resurrected Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, or maybe you have a basic level of familiarity, then you're probably familiar with what happened to Easter morning, right? Jesus had just been led to the cross, He'd just been hung on a Roman cross, and all of a sudden, you know, three days later, the tomb is rolled over, or the the stone is rolled away from the tomb, and everyone's going to look in, and everyone's going to see that Jesus isn't there. And it seems like everybody's going to yell, hooray, you know, hallelujah, you know, all this kind of church lingo. Uh, What's funny is that none of that happened. The first Easter morning, nobody expected for the body of Jesus to be gone. In fact, it was the opposite. Everybody expected and everybody anticipated that Jesus would be in the tomb. I want you to read this with me. In the book of Mark, Mark documents what happened. Mark, who would follow along with Jesus. And this is what Mark said, that when the Sabbath was over, so they were all waiting and staying low because the Sabbath was going, and and as good Jewish boys and girls, they would know that they weren't supposed to go outside. So the Sabbath was over. And Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices, so they got some spices, purchased them, that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And so very early on in the first day of the week, this is what happened. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, and this is what the question was, this is what the conversation was. They said, who will roll the stone away from the entrance 
to the tomb. Now, you got to get this because this is fascinating. We live in kind of a Sunday school era where we think that Easter morning, all of a sudden, everybody was gathered outside. They were all, you know, holding hands, and they were super Christians, so they probably had them laced for grace, you know, and they're all counting down. Ten, nine, eight, cue the sun, seven, six, birds chirp, right, two, one, and all of a sudden, you know, the stone, they went inside, and they said, he's gone, and, and somebody peered out and said, he is risen, and everybody else did the right church thing, which everybody else said, indeed. You know, I don't know when indeed became a church thing, but I love to make fun of the indeed, because no one said indeed Easter morning. It was the opposite. The women leave their house, they go buy some spices to embalm the body of Jesus, because again, on Easter morning, the first Easter morning, it was not a celebratory Sunday. It was a devastating day. But it gives hope to our faith. Here's what happened next. They went in. They saw the body wasn't there. They were so concerned and confused and kind of discombobulated. Luke accounts what happens when the women return home to tell the disciples about what had happened. Luke chapter 24, verse 9. So when they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the, to the 11 and to all the others. So there were some people that were kind of gathered around. They are probably trying to gather together saying, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? What do we do about this? Because Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah, Jesus, who we thought was the Son of God, is now dead. Verse 11. But they, being the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Verse 12. So Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now here's what's, here's what's wild about the Easter story. We, we, again, like to project as if the disciples were counting down, they were waiting, and they were about to celebrate. But they were devastated because their leader had been destroyed. Every single one of them doubted on Easter Sunday. None of them, none of them, none of them went to a tomb expecting to see a resurrected Jesus. In fact, as the book of Luke continues on to explain what happened, it says these two disciples were walking down the road. Jesus actually shows up physically with them and walks down the road with them. And they thought the same thing that we would think, if, in fact, if you're skeptical, perhaps you've thought, which is <clears throat> maybe somebody stole the body. Maybe somebody else took him. Maybe, maybe he just got up and walked away. And so as they're talking, they're walking down the road, and Jesus comes and walks beside them. They're so confused, they don't even see Jesus that's walking beside them. They don't recognize him and realize it is him. So he starts to talk to them and teach them. And he says, why are you guys so confused? Why are you guys so frustrated? They don't know it's Jesus. And they say, well, there was this guy, Jesus, you must have heard, he died. And we had thought that he was the, the Savior. We thought that he was the Messiah. He, we thought that he was the Son of God. But apparently, he wasn't. You see, again, on Easter morning, no one expected or resurrected Jesus. In fact, the opposite, the apostles, the disciples, the people who documented scripture went out of their way to document that, in fact, the opposite happened. You see, they documented their disbelief. 
because no one believed. But what changed the world, what changed the trajectory and launched the church, what changed the trajectory and launched Christianity, what changed trajectory and launched the entire kind of modern world that we now live and operate in was this. They saw a resurrected Jesus. This was the cornerstone and the hallmark of the early church. I want you to hear how Jesus finally, to all of the 12, shows up and says, this is, this is who I am. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36. So they were still talking about this because as Jesus had showed them some scripture, uh, he showed up to a couple of people as they were walking. They were trying to figure this whole thing out. Is this him? Is this not him? Is this a ghost? Is this not a ghost? They said, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, and he says, peace be with you. So they were startled and frightened because reasonably so. They see Jesus and they thought they saw a ghost. Now I love this because we would think, okay, maybe it's not actually like Jesus, Jesus. It's like this Casperish Jesus, right? Like when he showed up, you could like, kind of like wave your hand through Jesus. If you ever seen the old school movie Ghost, any people who were before, born before like 1985, you know what I'm talking about. But maybe it isn't the actual physical Jesus. Maybe it's just this ghost-ish Jesus. So Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your mind? He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You see, we're not the first ones to be skeptical of Jesus. We're not the first ones to be skeptical of the resurrection. The first disciples had the same reaction that we have, which is, are you sure? He showed him his hands, he showed him his feet, verse 41. And why they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them. And this, I'm just going to pause. I don't know if this adds anything to the sermon, to be frank, but this might be my favorite Jesus moment, because Jesus always did something that was a little bit unexpected. You've got to imagine, they are, they're in the middle of this internal conundrum. All of their hopes, all of their beliefs, all of their thoughts had just been dashed. I mean, they thought, they thought this thing was over. This movement was over. Thought he was the Messiah, not he's, now he's the Messiah. Now we're here, he show up, we just haven't seen it, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. I mean, they're overwhelmed. They're overloaded. And in the middle of this thing, Jesus says this. He asked them, do you have anything to eat here? <laughs> I love that. Jesus is like, hey, hey, I know this is a big deal, but for real, man, I'm hungry. I've spent a couple days in a grave, and I've spent a couple more days showing up, man, and I am starving. Y'all got any fish or anything? I don't know why I love that so much. Perhaps like the inner fat kid in me just like longs for Jesus to be that as well. But Jesus shows up and he says, hey, do y'all have any, y'all got any fish to eat? So verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. They took, he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I have told you while I was with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, all of this was talked about before. This is not new. This is not different. This has been the unstoppable move of God. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer 
and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And I love this in verse 48 because this, this was the thought, this was the statement, this was the marching order that launched what they would have as their faith. This was the beginning of the unstoppable movement of God. This is what Jesus says. You saw me die. You've heard how the prophets have prophesied about it. You saw me die. You saw me come back to life. Verse 48, and you are witnesses of this thing. In other words, you saw it. You are eyewitnesses of it. And the reason why I'm a Christian, if I can be really frank, it's not because of the, of, a, of a very convenient way that God reaches down to us. So that is magnificent, and I think that's a beautiful story and a beautiful narrative. It's not simply because Jesus was a great teacher, though he was a great teacher. It's not because he just taught us to love others as ourselves and to be kind and to be good neighbors. Because let's be honest, almost every religion says that. What is the differentiating point perspective and factor in all of Christendom is that Jesus came back from the dead in a way that no one expected but when he did it flipped the world on its face and he says and you are witnesses of these things now let me pause and say this if you're skeptical and you're thinking I hear you And I get all that. I understand all that. But the problem is, is you're just, you know, basically saying what the Bible says. And you can't use the Bible to substantiate the Bible because the Bible is not a self-substantiating document. In other words, do you just believe this because the Bible tells you so? Well, no. (laughs) Interestingly, it's way better than that. You see, the Bible isn't a document. The Bible is a collection of documents. The Bible is a collection of manuscripts that create a compilation of what we currently have as the scriptures. And we just don't just believe it because the Bible says it. But we have it and we believe it because the eyewitness testimony of Jesus' early followers have been preserved and documented through antiquity. We don't just believe it because the Bible says it. We believe it because Matthew said it. We believe it because Mark documented it and said it. We believe it because Luke, who walked around with Peter, documented it and said it. Because John documented it and said it. We believe it because Peter, in his epistles and his letters that he would write that would be preserved through antiquity, said it. We believe because uh, Paul believed it and said it. And in fact, we believe it, and this is the most extraordinary one to me, James, the brother of Jesus. And if you have a brother or a sister or you're a parent of siblings, let me ask you this. What would your kids have to do or what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was in fact the son of God? (laughs) The answer is nothing, nothing. There's nothing he could do because in Jesus' earthly life, even his own brother did not believe that he was the son of God. But when he saw his brother crucified on the cross, when his brother rose from the dead, he believed. He believed. Their faith was not in faith. Their hope was not in hope. What they looked for and longed for in the unstoppable, just extraordinary faith of the early church 
was a faith and a belief from something that they witnessed. And some people are like you and me. They didn't have the opportunity to witness. All they had was other people's words to go off of. In fact, this was the problem in the city called Corinth. Corinth, there was debate going around. Is it really a physical resurrection or was it just kind of this idea? Was was it not really just kind of a metaphorical resurrection? And so Paul goes through a number of different things of why this matters so much. But then he says, okay, let let me just give you one more tidbit, one more little piece why you can put this as a stake in the ground of the substance behind your faith. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He starts at verse 5. Actually, he's kind of been leading to this all in chapter 15. He gets to this one particular part, and he's going to lay out how Jesus came back and appeared. And that he appeared, verse 5, to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12, that's the 12 apostles, disciples. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. In other words, he's saying, okay, so it wasn't just like this Loch Ness monster, one person, or this kind of like weird family that lives out in the woods. Shout out to Wakulla or Perry. We love you, but that's the example for the day, right? Like it wasn't just this one rando group of people. At one point in time, he showed up to over 500 people at the same time. And here's what his message was to the church at Corinth. Because we hear that and we say, okay, that's interesting. But this was a letter that they received Paul was writing to this church of Corinth to say, I want you to know with certainty that this is not simply a hope in hope or a faith in faith. This was an event that actually happened. There were 500 people at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, this this is great. You can't miss this. The implication of this was, and if you don't believe me, go talk to them. If you don't believe my testimony, if you don't believe the 12 testimony, I get it, I get it, we've got some vested interest, but if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Over 500, in fact, most of them, still alive, still hanging out, city of Jerusalem, talk to them for yourself. This was the cornerstone and the hallmark of the New Testament church. This launched the church, this launched faith, this launched the movement of God when Jesus came back from the dead. And here's what this meant for their message. That for forever, the way people had related to God was through behavior modification. If I can act good enough, If I can act in a moral enough way, then perhaps I'll make God happy with me. But when Jesus died on the cross, he created a new relationship between us and them, between us and him. A relationship that would be defined not by how we live, but by simply our belief in him. And because of our hope, in our trust, in our faith, not in faith, but in faith and belief that he is in fact the son of God, that our sins are forgiven, that on the cross, he took the judgment and the punishment and the shame. We, like any relational rift, we sin against God regularly, daily. 
And what we see is that he took the punishment and the judgment that we should have faced. And all of that is just interesting at best without the resurrection. But the resurrection stands as the cornerstone in history that if a guy can be brutally beaten and crucified on a Roman cross, if he can declare that he is the son of God and he is the propitiation of our sins, he takes on our sinfulness, he is the substitution for what we should face, we are justified, we are now sinless, we are now forgiven, we are now free. Easter, the resurrection, stands as the cornerstone in history that Jesus is the only one who can do that. So what I want you to know with all this, it's simple. If you're brand new to faith and you're wrestling with who is Jesus, if you were raised in kind of a, a Sunday school that just believe, just believe, just to believe, don't ask too many questions because you don't know what you're not gonna find out, you have got to wrestle with the narrative, with the multiple eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. If you're here and you're a Christian, I hope this encourages your faith, that you don't simply have faith in faith, you simply don't have hope in hope, but you have faith and hope in the eyewitnesses' accounts of a historical Jesus who died on a Roman cross and three days later rose from the dead. And because of that, he solely has the ability and the capacity to forgive our sins. That substantiated his authority. So here's what I hope. This Easter Sunday, as we are dispersed all over the place, we are celebrating our resurrected Savior that launched the un, unstoppable, unmovable, unconquerable faith of Christianity. And it was started by something no one expected when the guy that they had hoped was the Savior, but apparently who wasn't, rose from the dead. I hope if you're struggling and wrestling with faith, and if you've been thinking about this for a long time, that perhaps today is the day that you declare Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Not because someone told you, but because he actually rose from the dead. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that we have victory. We thank you for the fact that we have your spirit. We thank you for the fact that you died on the cross for us. You overcame the grave. You did what no one expected you to do when you came back. And so Jesus, we ask and we pray that as we are dispersed all over the place, you would grow our faith to know that our faith and our hope is not just in a feeling, it's not just in a good teaching, it's not just in a sweet idea, an ideology, a theology, it is in an event, an event that happened, that changed forever the course of the world. It changed this movement of God. That trajectory was going towards the nation of Israel, but exploded. That eventually overcame Rome. 
God, we thank you for the fact that square in the middle of the Colosseum today does not stand any stand of an emperor or of a leader. In the Roman Colosseum stands a cross. And that cross stands because the man who hung on it did not stay on it. When he three days later came back from the dead, it changed the course of history. They were witnesses of it, and we are witnesses of your glory. And so, God, I pray that you would grow our faith. You would help us to be more like you. And for any of us who are struggling with faith right now, our faith would rise up inside as we today celebrate Easter Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we love you. We're so excited for what's happening in the life of, of so many of you as you're gathering in places and groups all over the place. Um, we are continuing to pray for you, so we hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.